I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In January, we spoke with 46-year-old seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson about transitioning to open-wheel racing, where the car weighs less, travels faster, upwards of 230 miles per hour, and produces more G-forces than a NASCAR vehicle. The lack of power steering has also pushed Johnson to revamp his training, focusing on grip, core and upper body strength, as well as upper body cardio to condition him for the higher heart rate demands of driving an IndyCar. Behind the wheel of the number 48 Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing, Johnson logged a sixth place finish at the Texas Motor Speedway in March, his best finish to date. And on May 29th, he'll race his first Indy 500 at the historic Brickyard in Indianapolis. As Johnson prepares to roll up to the most famous starting line in racing, we wanted to share this popular episode again. All right. Well, good morning, Jimmy. How are you and where are you? I'm in Charlotte and I'm doing great. Thank you. You've got your kids home, home from school this week, huh? I do. What a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> homeschooling is, uh, you know, I, I think the pandemic has been plenty dangerous, but uh, the challenges of homeschooling, I think, are, are the greatest danger that exists. How old are your kids? 11 and eight. Ah, so and they're old enough to like band together and and collude against dad, right? (laughs) Very true. (laughs) You know, the at 11 being self-guided and able to work the device and stay connected to school works pretty well. Um, You know, it's six, seven, eight range that we've dealt with through the pandemic. Um, she's now at a point where she, she can move through it pretty well and, and easily and self-guided, but um, it, it still requires a fair amount of, of you know, overseeing and checking in, um, which, you know, as with a family of a you know, husband and wife that work in our busy schedules, um, it, it provides plenty of challenges. I, I can absolutely imagine. Are, are your kids athletic as well? Are they, um, you know, having to give up some sports and stuff now? They both are really active with riding horses and thankfully, you know, that environment needing to take care of the animals and and ride them has, um, even, even in full lockdown, um, that was considered uh, a necessity or whatever the the phrasing was at the time. Um, so, so they've been able to stay active and get outside and be outside and be in a safe environment outside. That's actually sounds great. Riding horses is, sounds like a perfectly excellent socially distanced activity. I would love to do that on a daily basis, right? Yeah. And they've been able to really flourish with the, uh, the, the extra time through, the, through lockdown that we had. So it was, uh, it was kind of one of the silver linings for us as a family. That's nice. So you started racing motorcycles at the age of four, if I'm not mistaken, and, and you moved into racing cars after that, and I think you were a water polo player, a diver, a swimmer. What, what other sports did you do as a kid? Yeah, my, I got my first dirt bike Christmas. I was four and then started racing that next fall when I was five. Uh, my grandparents owned a motorcycle shop. And then where I lived in Southern California, you know, there were a few, <clears throat> a few things that were just kind of commonplace. And one was riding dirt bikes. And, and then the other ended up being uh, the swimming piece that I, I went through in high school and played water polo. And then our, uh, our lead diver right before league finals hit his head on the board and, okay. and was concussed and couldn't dive. So I, I raised my hand and said, sure, I'll, I'll try to throw some double front flips and some wild, 
wild dives to score points for the team. Um, but our, our swim program, a water polo program really won all the accolades in, uh, in our school in El Cajon and our football team was, was kind of the third or fourth tier. Um, just, you know, it's interesting when you grow up on the West coast and so close to the ocean, um, how some of those priorities shift for the school. So I got to ask you this because I had Gary Player on this podcast, the golfer, and he's rather famously fit at 86 years old. And yeah. he posted an Instagram uh, post recently of himself doing a front flip off his springboard into his pool and a back flip off the side <laughs> of a boat. So could you still do those double front flips now? Uh, the double, probably not, but <laughs> singles, absolutely um, you know, even, even add a little, little twist to it. So maybe you should ask Gary player for a, for a flip throwdown. <laughs> yeah, he is. I've had a chance to meet him over the years and, and what a, uh, energetic, full of life, um, just amazing human. Um, and as you started that story and said, he's still throwing flips. It makes me smile because it doesn't, doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's actually interesting. I have another podcast coming out soon uh, with Mike Watts, who's the performance director for um, Under Armour. And he was talking about how participating in water sports really helps people become very functional breathers. And all the all the sports that we do kind of inform the other sports that, that we participate in. So I'm sort of wondering if the racing and the swimming, if one was beneficial for the other at all. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I haven't been in the pool in a couple of years, but I was on a triathlon kick for the longest time. And um, my swimming background really led me towards it. Um, swimming and then my, my love of cycling. Um, despised running, but ironically, in my age group category, running's my strength. Uh, you know, get out of the water early. The, what I love the most in cycling has been my, my weakest <laughs> of the three. And then I, I've had good pace in running and, and have closed out my triathlons well. So it's, uh, you know, I, one, I guess I feel like swimming has opened up, you know, a hobby for me later in life. I think two, with the upper body demands and, and how compact we are in a cockpit, that swimming also provides a way to build strength and kind of stretch out muscles and add some flexibility. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think swimming really has been a, it really is good for race car drivers and I should probably get back in the pool uh, as a result. How old were you when you um, decided to focus solely on racing? You know, it really was the highest of priorities for me as a kid. You know, my schoolwork, all the way through high school when my, before my professional career started, everything, you know, was really built on that framework of good grades equals being able to go race and ride. And that was, it was my, you know, my sole interest as a kid. Um, and then professionally, um, <clears throat> I would say a big landmark for me in my professional career was in, um, I guess probably, 94, 95, somewhere in there, just out of high school. Um, I, I tried to take a few semesters in a junior college, was trying to figure out my pathway. Um, I knew racing was what I wanted to do, but didn't have, you know, really a, a road to follow just yet. And I've, I had an opportunity to, um, to do some television work through Chevrolet, who I was, was racing for at the time. But 
I had an opportunity to spend the summer in Wisconsin and I guess it was 90, 95, actually, the more I think about it. And that summer in Wisconsin, doing the television commentating in conjunction with my off-road racing, I was able to meet enough people and, and specifically the Herzogs who were an integral part of my, uh, my, my career. But that, that summer of 95 is when I knew I needed to, to put everything else aside and solely focus on motorsport. And, and I made my bet. Um, if it didn't work out, I'd probably be digging ditches somewhere. <laughs> Who knows what my career path would be, but that was really kind of the, the point in time professionally that I, I went all in. I think I read somewhere that if you weren't a race car driver, you'd be a fireman. I would, but I feel like <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it is such a competitive environment. And if I, and say, call it 96, pursued that pathway, I would have been years behind kids that started in the junior fire academy. Oh, wow. um, so I think I had a huge interest in it, but I don't know if my timing would have worked out if I pursued racing and it didn't didn't play out if I, if I could have gotten into the fire program. Wow. So you ended up obviously in NASCAR for nearly two decades, incredibly successful before switching over to IndyCar last season. And because this is a fitness podcast and you're definitely known for your physical fitness, IndyCars, they're lighter, they're faster. That means more G-forces, but they're also open on the top. So it maybe doesn't get as hot in there. What are some of the differences physically in driving those two types of cars that have had the biggest impact on you? I would say the differences, um, you, you kind of go from a endurance sport and call that NASCAR, you know, lower heart rate, longer duration um, to IndyCar where it's a shorter duration, but much higher heart rate and, and certainly more strength required in the IndyCar due to the G-forces but more importantly, due to uh, the fact there's no power steering in the car, yeah. uh, that that's really been an interesting challenge. Uh, the you know my my arms and chest and shoulder area was probably easier to you know that, that seemed more logical that that would be a challenge and was easy to get the strength there. What's been a surprise to me has been uh, back kind of mid to lower back that's your anchor to control your feet and the brake pedal pressure is pretty high. And that's also your anchor for your upper body. And I, I, I probably spent half the year trying to get half the season last year, trying to get not only my core, but that's that opposing area in my back strong enough to support the demands of a, of a race weekend. What are you doing to strengthen your lower back and your core? A lot of very interesting, um, um, so, so if I'm doing a uh, bench press or chest, it's now dumbbells and I'm in a position where I have to support myself from a core standpoint. Um, Romanian dumbbell lifts are another one. I'll do pushups where my, uh, let's see, as an example for in a pushup, my right arm will be up on an elevated block. Mm -hmm. My left arm is on the floor. The op my legs do the opposite where my then right leg would be on the floor and my outside leg would be up. So I'm kind of in a tabletop position and, and needing to support and hold my lower extremities through my lower back. Um, some variations on plank, just a variety of different things that are looped into the strength to kind of attach and use 
core stability and, and back stability uh, and have that incorporated into the strength routine. And these are things that you didn't have to do when you were driving NASCAR. NASCAR without the real physical load up top due to having power steering, the G forces weren't a huge issue because we could bring our, our headrest in to support our head and neck. Um, it really was about uh, maintaining a heart, a, a moderate heart rate for a long period of time. So cycling really was my outlet for that cycling and running and a little bit of swimming. Um, at this stage in IndyCar, you know, cycling's great. I use it more as a recovery tool and there's, there's much more specific high heart rate, um, upper body cardio exercises that I'm doing through either the rower or through the skier machine. Oh God. The skier machine is the devil. Oh, it's awful. They, they, we have this ladder we're doing right now in the off season where you start with a thousand meters of row, immediately go over and do a hundred meters of skiered and you work your way all the way through that ladder to end up with a thousand meters of skiered and a hundred meters of row. Uh, it's uniquely called the, the death ladder. Yeah. And there's a time out there that I'm chasing through uh, my, my fitness routine is coming through pit fit. He's based in Indiana right now. And they have a fast time that all of us are trying to chase down right now. Wow. All their athletes. For, for people who don't know what the ski erg is, it's kind of like the rowing machine, like up and down and it has these like cables that you pull as if you were pushing poles behind you and it, it is just an upper body gasser and and it it is the devil that definitely is. is a perfectly apt um explanation surprisingly a full body workout too i mean it's oh yeah you, you feel it in your legs and your hamstrings and it, it, it is awful but it works it is highly effective it's interesting. We also had Eric um, Almarola on the podcast and he was talking about how NASCAR, you get your heart rate does get elevated in the car, but it's in that like zone three, no man's land of heart rate. And the only way to really do that is on a bike or in a, in a slow run. How much higher, wh where does your heart rate sit when you're in an Indy car? Yeah, it's, it's redlined. And I figured that out quickly. Wow. Um, you, you are that zone four, zone five, and, and, you know, I went from, and my strength really is the, the long and, and lower, longer duration, lower heart rate. That's where triathlon has been so good for me and endurance sports. So for myself to have these short, powerful bursts, the higher heart rate, um, I've had to get very uncomfortable through the course of last year and, and, and trying to even do so now through the winter, just to make sure that I'm ready for St. Pete, because you come out of the gate with a warm race, a street circuit, which is highly physical. And, um, you know, it's kind of out of my, out of my sweet spot. So it's been another interesting challenge for me to, to make this conversion over to IndyCar. So when you're doing these, these, uh, upper body cardio workouts, I, I mean, what is the duration of them compared to the duration of, of an IndyCar race? And, and has it made an impact on you being able to control your heart rate through the IndyCar races? Yeah, it really has. And I, I feel like there are some similarities to the triathlon world or through my training focus on, uh, on the, on the NASCAR side of life. And, and what I'm getting at there is just trying to get that lactic, uh, get into that lactic threshold area. Mm -hmm. Um, so speed work that you would do for running or cycling, 
you know, it's kind of 25 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on the trainer you use. And you do that a couple times a week for, you know, swim, bike, run. And it's, it's very similar, but I'm doing it through the rower or through the, uh, the skier machine, um, and have two to three days of speed work, if you will, or that high lactic threshold work. Um, and then you backfill from there with just low, low heart rate, um, recovery work, uh, you know, active recovery, just to kind of build, uh, build the foundation from there. I was going to ask what a typical week of working out looks like for you. Um, you know, you said three days of those, um, the, the upper body cardios. What about just straight up lifts? How often are you, are you doing your strength exercises? It depends on the week, but it, it averages probably two to three days of, of strength that's, that's incorporated into it. Um, every other day is neck. Um, but then we kind of work through uh, push and pull. Um, you know, upper body stuff. And then of course, always um, tackling, you know, the, the stability stuff uh, with, with core and back. So in a typical week, in addition to you're working out pretty much every day, it sounds like how much time on top of that do you spend in the car? I would say the minimum is probably 90 minutes, uh, six days a week. Um, I could only, I could, I could, bring it down to five and I don't upset the trainers too much. Uh, so five to six days a week on that. And then on a race weekend, you know, we try to, um, time our physical peak, uh, to, to be on, on race day. So, you know, we'll start reducing the workload, um, a couple days prior to the event and start tapering. If they're back-to-back race weekends, um, it's really about, um, kind of active recovery in between and, and not really worried about it, building strength at that point. Um, so, you know, when, when you add up the practice times at track, it's so short these days, there's probably 90 minutes of practice. You have a qualifying session, a 30 minute warm up, and then the race, um, you know, so you, it just, it depends on the week again, if they're back-to-back races or not, but it's, it's an active week and in season, um, it's really hard to keep weight on. I remember chatting with Joseph Newgarden, uh, two years ago when I was really kind of getting into this and he said, man, put on all the weight you can to start the season, because once you get in season, um, you're just going to watch yourself shrink as you go. Is that all, all right for a race car driver? Does lighter kind of mean faster? It depends on the series in IndyCar, the driver's weight is factored into the gross weight of the car. So there isn't a penalty. Okay. Um, it's really about putting on a little extra strength so you can wrestle the car around. But now with the IMSA series that I'm competing in, um, the car is weighed without the drivers. Uh, so any extra weight you carry is a disadvantage. Huh. So no cheeseburgers for you. Well, I mean, you can't just you quit cold turkey. You got to be realistic. <laughs> you get you a wean off the cheeseburgers. Yes, of <laughs> right. course. Right. Okay. So you're 46 years old right now. You've definitely been at this a long time. And I know this is a very 30,000 foot question, but how have your workouts and your attitudes toward working out evolved as you've gotten older? I think younger years, I kind of shrugged it off. Um, various stages through my career, I've found that the mindset of being fit is is a parallel path to success for me in racing. Um, I think as I've gotten older yet, I've also realized there's a parallel path to um, kind of my own 
vision of myself and confidence and self-worth. And there's this emotional piece that comes into it that I'm, I'm probably experiencing more now and th- than I have. So there definitely is an evolution. Um, I'm one that, that needs accountability, that needs a purpose to, uh, to get up earlier, to cram, you know, cram in a workout when I can. And, um, I love the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm still competing right now and that IndyCar is so physical and is requiring me to, you know, maintain a very high level of fitness. Do you think, so do you use like triathlons, you've run a marathon as, um, ways to keep yourself focused in training? Do you need that like big end goal? I do. And I, I think my friends have laughed at me over the years, watching me put in so much effort and I'm like, man, it's just, it's just a little triathlon. It's just a sprint try. Why are you, why are you putting in so much effort? Mm-hmm. Like, man, I, I, I paid the entry fee. I'm all in. So yes. it's been a really good way of accountability for me. Um, you know, not to mention what friend groups do and training groups do as well. But man, if I sign up for something, I'm in. I, I am. It's funny. I am totally the same way. I'm like, if I don't do it, I paid for it. I won't get the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 26 bucks. You're worried know, about it. It's right, crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, now that you have, obviously IndyCar is presenting a new set of challenges for you. Are you kind of just focused on those or do you have other fitness goals? Like, do you want to do an Ironman or climb Mount Everest or something? I do have other fitness goals. I, I would love to do some various mountain bike events, even cycling. Um, I've always had my eye on a on a full Ironman or full distance Ironman. I've done a 70.3 and, you know, my fitness from triathlon, it's been a while since I've, I've been in that, that specific kind of shape that it seems like a long road. Um, but I wouldn't rule it out. I, I am surprised just how focused I've needed to be on IndyCar and sports car. Uh, my schedule is really full. In addition to you know training and the the race weekends, there's a lot of simulator work that that goes with all of that and testing. Um, so I don't I don't have a lot of extra room because amongst all of this, I have two beautiful daughters and a, mm-hmm. an amazing wife and and life to live. So I feel like I'm in a in a good spot now. And and potentially when I slow down from driving the car, I'll uh, I'll look into some of these other fitness related goals. So it's interesting, like when you're training for a 70.3 or, or an Ironman, like those are like workouts that are hours long and they're slogs. And now that you're focusing on IndyCar, I, I read this Wall Street Journal article that was talking about your workouts. You're focused on such tiny things. It's not, not, not big things like riding a bike for three hours. It's increasing your grip strength and uh, making sure your neck is strong enough to handle the, the G-forces. So the grip is something that's so tiny. It's, we don't all think about it. How do, what do you do to increase your grip strength? Yeah, the car does have a very specific form of fitness. And I think I was lucky in my NASCAR days that the fitness for, uh, for the race car was easily achieved through running or cycling. And, and frankly, it's why I did so many triathlons then, and, and it all crossed over so well, but in, in the IndyCar world, uh, with the upper body strength that's needed. Um, again, it, it really kind of boils down to these strength sessions in the gym and um, push and pull and, and a lot of dumbbell work. And as an example, yesterday I, I had a, a lift where I had opposing push and pull exercises. They're 10 minutes long in duration. 
Um, I need eight to 10 reps of the push, eight to 10 reps of the pull. And I just rotate back and forth uh, for 10 minutes between the, the two sets and then move on to another superset. There's three in total. Um, but as an example for grip, um, I was doing three point row and, you know, sitting there with 60 pound weights um, for 10 minutes, you know, just cycling through uh, the reps. It's amazing how much grip strength you build just hanging onto the weight that's required mm -hmm. for that particular workout. And that, that's what I've been really interested in. And I've always been so specific on building one muscle at a time. And with PitFit and their, uh, their training program, um, you know, there's a lot of full body motion work that hits many muscles at once. It's, it's been an eye opener for me. Tell me about this uh, weighted neck contraption that you've been using. <laughs> I have a few. Um, Old-fashioned dumbbells laying off the end of a, a bench works in a pinch, but I also have a, uh, you know, a standard neck machine that I'll use to, to hit three of the directions. Um, and then Iron Neck came out with this kind of helmet slash hat looking thing that has a slider that moves around so you can really um, be in motion and strengthen the rotational part of, uh, of your neck muscles. And there's various bands that attach to this thing. And, um, my, my wife, I, I literally got to hide from her when I go to do it. She can't stop laughing at me when I put this contraption on and start working my neck. So this is something that you can even just do around your house, like not even at the gym. Oh yeah. I took it with me to Colorado so that I can keep my neck, uh, you know, at least keep some fitness on my neck. Uh, during the holidays and and I was out in the garage thought I was I was hiding and she walked out and just buckled over laughing <laughs> we're gonna have to find a photo of this to, to put up <laughs> with the podcast um I also read that you've been you, you mentioned um full body exercises and I don't know if you're still doing this but I did read that you were doing a lot of those type of exercises but with more of a, a focus on eccentric loading like holding at the bottom of a squat are you still doing this kind of stuff I am and that's really been an interesting wrinkle on things, you know, I, I guess just always grew up thinking, you know, the, the push part of the exercise, not the negative. So I guess the positive side of any motion is where, where the strength came from. And I would always have a different level of soreness or fatigue from working out in the gym versus driving a car with that in mind. And with the new program I'm on, you know, we don't focus necessarily on how much weight we're moving. We're focusing more on how much time we spend in tension and how much time um, you spend on the negative or, or even stopping mid, midway and holding. And to my surprise, that's exactly the feeling of being inside the car. And as I thought through it, you know, you're holding so long in the car throughout these corners that I've, I've just kind of missed the mark on left to my own accord in training all these years in this eccentric or hold um, formula in the gym now crosses over directly to the race car. So it's basically more about being able to build muscular endurance under that tension, as opposed to being able to jump out of it. Exactly. Exactly right. That's interesting. Do you have, um, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about how your exercise ha routines have evolved over the years, but do you have favorite exercises, ones that you've always done and will always do? I guess probably the bike. Um, you know, my, my process of focusing on, on uh, certain lift components in the gym has been changed over the last, you know, 24 months in, in my experience working with PitFit. And 
I, I think I've, I've got it wrong in a lot of ways, especially in the gym. I'm sure I put some muscle on and, and, uh, would feel better. But as we just spoke about with these holds and the eccentric work and building that, uh, you know, muscle endurance, um, it's kind of rewrote what I'm, what I'm doing now. And I certainly have some favorites that I think carry over here and, you know, over the last 24 months and, and it's not that I, I like them because they're fun, but I just know how dang effective they are. So the skier machine, I mean, you're, there's just no better way to build fitness, uh, especially for an indie car. And then also battle ropes. I think mm-hmm. one of, one of the ladders we have is alternating between skier and battle ropes. And I mean, both are no fun, but both are so effective. And I, I know that I'm helping myself for my job. I, I do ask all the athletes that come on the podcast for the exercises that they love to hate, but I'm assuming that those are probably the two of them for you, the battle ropes and the skier, the exercises that you can't stand doing, but you do them because you know, you, you take your medicine and do it because you know, it's good for you. <laughs> That's exactly it. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, do you have, so when you, when you travel, obviously you're spending some time at home, then you go out for race weekends and then you, you come back, you're probably in trailers a lot. Do you have fitness equipment that you won't travel without? My motorhome goes to all the races. Uh, I have a bike in there and then I also have a compu trainer and big fan of Zwift and, and use it regularly. So that's, that's always kind of in the background. I know that I have it. I have a few dumbbells in the motorhome as well. And some yoga mats that, you know, I can kind of build a station inside the bus for, for race weekends. Um, other than that, you know, I, I just communicate with um, our training group and have an app that we, that I find my workouts in and I just let them know where I'm going and what I think I'll have at my disposal. And they always find a way to, um, you know, at least keep me sharp and, and not let the, you know, not let time just slide by. Gotcha. So this may have been more of an issue for you in NASCAR with the longer races, but you know, those of us who spend a ton of time sitting at a desk or in a car, we know we have to focus a lot on mobility to repair the damage done by sitting. How do you address that as a, as a race car driver? I'm not sure I address it as I should. (laughs) Um, My flexibility is awful. Um, (laughs) From training group to just getting a recovery massage and someone tries to help me stretches like, Oh my gosh, you're so tight. So I, 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 thankfully I haven't had any injuries to this point. Um, I I do have a routine of trying to stretch on my way to bed, um, try to do a little before and after a workout, but uh, mobility is not, uh, is not a, a strength of mine. And obviously because the position I sit in, in a car, not to mention all the work that I do outside of my day job is in front of a computer and in a chair. Like I, I think I probably have more time than anyone in that, you know, bad position, if you will, uh, hurting my mobility than, than anyone. It just seems to be day or night. I'm, I'm kind of in that same seated position. Wow. So what do you do to recover from a race? You said you get a massage. At times I, I do, but I, I know the effects of active recovery. Um, after finishing some some early half marathons and just weren't focusing on massage, um, I, I felt like it took me out of the training window for for two three times the distance. Mm-hmm. And I learned early on that if I just got back out on my feet and ran again, or or cycled, or just did something in that active recovery department, um, you know, got my body temp up, got blood flowing flushed out the toxins and, and the lactic acid buildup that I, I've recovered so much faster. So I, I'm a huge advocate for active recovery. 
Have you gotten into any of these newer technolo- technological modalities like the cryo or the infrared sauna or the massage gun? Do you do, you do any of that stuff? I do. I've, I've done cryo once. Um, I, I thought I would try some cold baths this year, especially on the double headers in 2021. And I was a chicken and couldn't submerge myself. My kids made fun of me. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, I have an infrared sauna here at home, and we do a lot of heat training before the season starts. And uh, my, my sauna, little home sauna, does have some infrared capability. I can't say I've noticed a ton. I'm, I'm directionally, I think it's helping me, but I don't use it regularly enough to to really know. Um, but the the guns are are, are helpful as well. I, I do use those uh, in conjunction with active recovery, probably more than anything. When you say you do heat training, are you just sitting in the sauna or are you exercising in the high heat? We'll we'll do different mental games uh, through my phone in there. So I've been able to kind of put rubber gaskets around all the little areas, the window that would leak. And I, my little home sauna can get up to 140, basically wow. just under 140. And I'll sit in there for an hour and just play memory games and hand-eye coordination games on my phone. How do you, what do you do with the phone in the 140 degrees? It can go in there. It's okay. It, it survives. It does. <laughs> I've had a few times where it's flashed that the, the phone is too hot and it needs to shut down, but Honestly, it, it makes it most times through the, through the exercise. I would be so scared, but okay. Um, so <laughs> from a nutrition perspective, what does a day of eating look like for you? This is an area I probably need to focus on more than anything because I have a huge sweet tooth and, and definitely eat too much at times. Um, but through, through all the years of cycling, marathons and stuff, I've been able to to really understand um, how to fuel myself properly, and then certainly how to to be hydrated and what my sweat loss is, what's in my sweat, and, and have a, a great formula. Um, some might remember some issues I had in the past. There's one in Richmond after a NASCAR race where I literally just went into a full body cramp and fell out once I got out of the race car. Oh, geez. So, yeah, it was really really rough and. Um, you know, so I, I've learned, I think that's been a very helpful tool with endurance sports. It's carried over to motorsport, um, knowing when, why, uh, to eat or drink certain things is, is really been a useful tool and, and it's helping me at this stage of my career. So do you, do you follow any particular type of diet? I've tried them all over the years. Um, I, I am a big proponent of just kind of the well-balanced diet. I think it's the most realistic um, I have tried keto and I'm, I'm actually currently, um, doing some intermediate fast, intermediate fasting, um, doing the MCT oil in the morning, which, you know, really helps curb my appetite and, um, skipping breakfast and, and getting like a 14 to 17 hour fast right now. Um, I just know that it does provide energy for me, but it's so easy to knock myself out of keto that I, I just, I'm not going to mess with it once I'm in season and, and make mm-hmm. sure that I, get enough carbs in to, to get me through, uh, you know, through the physical demands that we have. So are you doing your workouts fasted right now? It depends if it's strength. I am, if it's cardio, I'm not, I just don't want to bonk and, uh, and have that hangover that comes with it for a couple of days. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite pre-workout meal? If I could pick, I'd go with ice cream around the clock. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> a Cliff Bar or banana is uh, is always a good choice. Okay. Do you have a favorite post workout meal? 
I think, I think I would go in the, uh, the pasta department. Um, there's just nothing wrong with pasta. And I would say one big takeaway I had from my, my high school athletic career, you know, no one really fueled properly before or after. And after it was all about getting protein in. And when I got into endurance sports, I quickly realized that that immediate window following any long effort, you need to replace the glycogen. You need to get that, uh, get those carbs back in and your body's ready for it. And that's the most important window for your energy for the next workout. And my first year or so, I, I just had it all wrong when I was trying endurance sports. And a good friend of mine is a guy named Cam Worf. Um, he was a, a high pro level um, cyclist that's now moved into the triathlon space. And he's like, buddy, you're, you're getting it wrong. Like you just need to, you need to cram carbs in post, post long run, post long ride. And, and you'll just watch yourself be stronger and stronger and have more energy for the next workout. So that was a great piece of advice he gave me. And, and one that I just had wrong for a, a long, long time. So how does the intermittent fasting affect what you're eating for the, the, the rest of the day? Cause obviously if you're fasting 14 to 17, you have to obviously cram in a lot of calories in those last seven, eight hours of eating. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, backfill with some carbs to make sure that, you know, my energy's up and that I don't officially bonk and, and, and go through all of that. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to, it seems like I have this domino effect where if I can just start getting one part, right, I make better choices throughout my day and throughout the week. And that leads to a month. And after, you know, being guilt-free through the holidays, it's time to get serious <laughs> again. So, um, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking for, you know, things as close to the root as I can, if it's fruit, if it's vegetables, um, you know, and, and trying to be mindful of the carbs, um, you know, and, and put, put more protein and good fat in than anything. Does your weight flu You mentioned that, um, you're trying to keep weight on during the racing season. How much does your weight actually fluctuate? You know, it, it really depends, um, on just how well behaved I am. I, I, I feel like I'm an overeater all the time. Um, I just, you know, without the sports car accountability is helping me quite a bit right now. And in NASCAR, I cycled so much I could eat whatever I wanted, but I did find that last year with the shorter races that it was easy, um, easy to easier to maintain weight than I thought. Um, so it, I'm still trying to dial that all in at this point, but, um, with the goal of sports car racing and trying to, trying to not carry any extra weight around, um, you know, I'm, I'm at least starting January, much more mindful of that. We have the Rolex 24 coming up and, uh, I want to make sure I'm as light as possible heading to that one. Does your diet training, uh, routine vary greatly in season and off season, or do you try to maintain some consistency with it? Yeah, I, I won't fast as much. Um, certainly keep the carbs in, um, especially if it's back-to-back -back race weekends, you know, it, it's, I think you get in too much. I think you get in trouble if you're trying to get too cute with things and uh, not keeping yourself. You know, I'd rather miss it, miss it with too many calories than than be under and, and be behind. Gotcha. Do you have any supplements that you can't live without? I, I've tried. Gosh, I try it all. Um, 
I've, I seem to move around with different things and, and, um, you know, I, I, but nothing consistently other than than trying to be mindful of, you know, vitamins, minerals, and and certainly my electrolytes. I'd say electrolytes are the thing that I, I focus the most on. I cramp easily and, and I've had heat issues throughout my career. So I'm probably hypersensitive to, to hydration more than anything. So, so you've mentioned hydration a few times. Do, how do you, how do you manage that? Do you have goals for like how much water you have to drink every day? Do you put an electric light supplement in whatever you drink? How, how do you manage that to make sure you're not going to be cramping when you get out of the car? Yeah. In, in season, um, really focused on every third, if I'm exercising or not every third, glass of water, if you will, it has, has something in it. Um, I'm of course trying to make sure those are sugar-free options. And if it's before or after training, um, I'm more relaxed with it, having sugar in it and, and know that that's kind of, you know, helping the cause. But, um, I also in season, uh, have some electrolyte pills that I'll take and I'll just, I, I have uh, a bottle positioned at my desk in the transporter. I have bottles in the motorhome, and I'll just, you know, just keep popping them like they're Tic Tacs. Just, just take okay. them throughout the day, throughout the weekend. Um, as I know with my my sweat rate, and I'm a very salty sweater, that I, I just, I just got to keep it in. And again, if I'm going to miss it, I need to miss it high because the, the lower side's just not good for me. What are your favorite electrolyte supplements? Do you have any? That you're like, wow, this tastes great. I love it. Um, I love noon as my sugar-free option. Yeah. Uh, I love scratch. Um, think that they have some wonderful products across the board. And then a guy I grew up racing motocross with started a supplement company and it's called Rhino Power. And I think his protein powder is, is really, really good. And his electrolytes, um, or those are the pills that I actually use. Rhino Power. I'm always looking for a new protein powder. I'm going to go look that up. Is it, is it uh, plant-based or is it whey? It's, uh, it's not plant-based, um, it's way and the vanilla is like the most flavorful uh, vanilla you're going to have. My kids actually like it. I just made my daughter a smoothie with it in there. So it's, it's pretty strong. It's great. Do, do you do a lot of shakes and stuff like that? Occasionally I'm, I'm not in a routine of it. Um, it, it, again, it depends if I'm in a fasting mode, I'll ignore the, the smoothie. If I feel like I need to focus on on getting carbs in, then I'm probably more open-minded to it. Gotcha. So we had your teammate, Alex Pello on the podcast, and he talked so much about what he's learned from you, but I know he's really embraced the winner, winner, chicken dinner thing. He gets <laughs> his fried chicken after all of his victories. Do you, did you have a victory meal? My like wife and I, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, it's going to sound really funny, but we would always go to Sonic and just order all the bad stuff and a, you know, ice cream of some kind to go with it. But that was kind of our move during my cup career. Like a um, burger Mondays. and a milkshake kind of thing. Yeah. Mondays where we'd head to Sonic. Um, I didn't grow up with Sonic around in Southern California. She introduced me to it. She was blown away that I had never had Sonic prior to meeting her. And then there's one not far away from the house. And uh, that was, that was our move was to head to Sonic. Do you guys have the uh, perpetual Sonic versus In-N-Out debate since you're a Southern California guy? She, we, we have a similar vision of them and their, their, uh, their rankings. So In-N-Out's, of course, number one, and then Sonic is, is after it. 
you've mentioned ice cream a whole bunch of times. I'm assuming that's your favorite cheat thing. What's your favorite flavor? I haven't found a bad flavor yet. Okay. Uh, they're all good to me. <laughs> um, I do want to ask you a little bit about Alex um, because I had such a fun time talking with him and he was talking about how much he's learned from you and all of your experience across racing. What do you learn from the young guys like him? I think it's a two-way street. We're always learning from one another. And I was given advice a long time ago that, you know, the day you stop learning or think you know it all in, in, in any discipline, but specifically motorsports, it's time to hang it up. And, and that's the truth. I mean, you know, it's very easy to be a veteran and to get into your ways and to, uh, to not be open-minded. And then you watch a young guy come in that just doesn't know any better. And, and I think there are many discoveries that come from that. Um, but with Alex, you know, he's, he's such a student of the sport. He's so focused and dedicated. Um, he has such a great individual and great spirit. So hungry to learn. Um, it's, it's really been a pleasure working with him and, and become a teammate and, and building a friendship that we have. I think people think of racing, be it NASCAR or IndyCar, really as an individual sport because you're in the car out there by yourself. But with Ganassi, with Alex and Scott Dixon, like you've got a lot of guys on that team. How important is the team in in racing? Yeah, that's an unfortunate misconception of the sport. Many, many think that it really is just the driver, but it is absolutely a team sport. And you know, there are many dimensions to it. And I, I think when you look at organizations that continue to stay on top and that, that last, you know, for decades, it's it's because of the group and how the group interacts. Um, not just the drivers that drive for that group, but through management, um, through mechanics and engineers. You know, it's a holistic approach that that really works. And I knew from afar that the Chips Indy operation was was special. And within a few visits to the shop and being a part of the team, I could see why. And it's really about, you know, all the people that are in that building and, um, you know, their, their shared passion, dedication and commitment to the team that, that make it what it is. So you're, you're committed for the full season of IndyCar this year. What did you learn in your first season that you'll be trying to improve upon in your second Gosh, everywhere. I was surprised <laughs> just how different um, Indy car racing is compared to NASCAR. And I also had to learn new tracks, um, just just everything. I mean, I literally was was the uh, the oldest rookie that's ever been in the IndyCar series, and I, I was as green as can be. Uh, but I feel like my progress through the course of the year uh, has me very excited for, uh, for more growth in 22. And then adding the ovals to it, I think that'll be a nice step up in performance for me. How do you learn a new track? Do you have to drive it or can you study it ahead of time? How does that work? And pardon it that if, if that's an ignorant question. <laughs> no, it's not at all. I mean, with today's learning, you know, we can use simulators. Uh, there's some great, um, you know, home sim systems that you can use like iRacing. Um, so I, it's been helpful, but, you know, I've been at this a while and when I, first started we didn't have any of this sim stuff and you'd actually go to tracks and drive them and that's one thing that was really nice in my cup career we didn't have the restrictions that we do on testing like all all motorsports does now and i could actually go to these tracks and spend a couple days 
And we'd even go a couple of times for a couple of days to tracks and learn them. And, and something people might not realize is these tracks are all very unique. Even the ones on the ovals that look the same and, and you know, they call them cookie cutter tracks. They all have nuances that are specific to them. And until you get the reps out there on the track, you just don't learn them. So visually with today's approach, I can understand what gear to be in and where the line roughly is, but to really understand the texture of the track and where the bumps are located, you just got to get out there and do it yourself. Now you're talking about home simulators and, and talking about doing mental exercises in the sauna. Now I'm wondering if you can drive like some sort of heated simulator and get to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised in the formula one space that they have it. I mean, they, there really isn't a, a, a spending cap over there and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's being used in, in some of the, the big teams, honestly. Somebody, somebody's got to invent that if they haven't. Do you have um, specific goals for the 2022 season? You know, I, I feel like road or street wise, um, a top 10 would uh, like a, a truly earned race my way through top 10 is, is a goal for me. I feel like the ovals, you know, I bumped that up to probably a top five, if not a podium. Um, you know, I, I am a racer, so I um, naively or not think that any race I line up for, I have a shot to win. Mm -hmm. um, I think the ovals, there's a higher probability than road and street. But, um, you know, I think realistically running the top 10 on road and street and uh, top five on the ovals would be a, be a great year for me. Do you even think about how long you'll continue to do this? Or is it just the kind of thing where you're like, if I'm having fun, I'm sticking around? Yeah, I mean, I think about it and there's many factors that play into that. Um, you know, I, I do feel like if I only stopped after one year, you know, I, it, there's so much new here. I, I feel like I need three, four, five years to really know what I'm capable of here. I mean, there's just so much to learn and everything is so restricted that you, you need years to get, get the time, like, right. To, to really figure out what, what's possible. Um, I know that I have 22, I'm not sure what 23 and beyond looks like, but I can promise you, I, I I'm having a great time. I know that I'm improving. I know that I haven't, haven't hit my peak yet. So I, I want to do it as long as I can. Cool. Jimmy, can you just tell us what your social media handles are so folks can follow you this season? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward with, uh, other than the spelling of J-I-M-M-I-E, but <laughs> Jimmy Johnson, um, you can find me on all the platforms. People are still giving you J-I-M-M-Y occasionally, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I've also been called worse, so it's no big deal. Well, I thank you so much for chatting with us today. Yeah. And I, I wish you good luck with the racing. I wish you good luck with the homeschooling. I wish you good luck with consuming as much ice cream as possible. Um, just really all the best. And, and thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us in that look back on one of our favorite episodes with NASCAR legend and budding IndyCar star, Jimmy Johnson. To keep up with Jimmy as he heads into his first Indy 500, follow him on Instagram and Twitter at, at Jimmy Johnson. That's J-I-M-M-I-E. And check out his website, jimmyjohnson.com. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. 
Food of the Gods is a Digitent Podcast production. Thank you.